All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 988. And uh, next week will be our last week in 1 Thessalonians. So if you come next week, congratulations, you made it all the way through. And we'll hand out gold stars or, or something at the end of church. Sometimes when I tell stories from my family history, I have to give a caveat. I have to let people know that what I'm repeating, what has been told to me by the older people in my extended family, may or may not be legend as much as what actually happened. My grandma Schultz, my dad's mom, was the queen of the story. And her kids, my dad in particular, carries on the tradition. Even as a young kid, I knew I had to have a decent amount of skepticism when my grandma would start to tell a story, especially when it involved sort of the family history, the family stories. She could weave a story so well that oftentimes it felt that she did it a little too well to her credit. One time we were gathered in a family reunion. We were playing the game Scattergories. And if you have never played Scattergories, there is a die that has all the letters of the alphabet on it. And you roll it, and that round has a letter. And then you have a form you fill out where you have to think of words and things that begin with that letter. And I don't remember what the letter was that year, I was pretty young, but the category was musical instrument. And what I do remember about that is that everyone had suspicion of grandma's answer. And even when she attempted to demonstrate how one would play it by miming the action, there was still a lot of skepticism around the table. The problem was we couldn't prove her wrong. This was in the days before smartphones and having the internet at our fingertips. I don't know what my grandma would have done in the age of the internet. But it's that idea of the ability we have today to fact check everything. Even around the dinner table, all we have to do is pick up our phones, and check. But this idea of fact-checking, of seeing what is the real truth behind the story, is going to be helpful in understanding this section of 1 Thessalonians. In this section of 1 Thessalonians, again, Paul has given very concise and short commands to follow. And in our section today, he talks about following the Holy Spirit, and in particular, the church's attitude towards prophecy. And while I want to work through some data that we find in the New Testament to help us better understand how we are to apply texts that mention prophecy, there is clarity in this idea of fact-checking what is said. And so while we'll work through some difficult bits of the text, 
There is clarity in how we are to respond when people speak to us, whatever their claim is. What do we do when someone claims to speak for God to us? Both through in claiming the prophetic gift, but then also just through the knowledge of the Bible and sharing scripture with each other. And it's in that clarity that I will ground our application of this text this morning. So our big idea, if you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, is this, that when people claim to speak for God, we must test what they say and hold fast to the truth they proclaim. So let's look at point number one in your outline there, to follow the Spirit, verses 19 and 20. Follow along as I read, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Paul warns the Thessalonian church that they are in danger of quenching the Spirit. It's a neat word picture because this word could also be used of extinguishing a fire, which takes us back to the imagery of fire and the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Do not extinguish the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. The broad command to follow what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, empowering you, leading you, guiding you. Follow the Holy Spirit in repentance and conviction. Follow the Holy Spirit in living a godly life, one of the fruit of the Spirit that we read earlier in the service. But one specific application of following the Spirit is in verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. And there's some difficulty in understanding what exactly is meant here. And in attempting to do so without getting lost in the weeds, I want to give us a couple of solid points that we can stand on when we come to commands like this or in places like 1 Corinthians 14. Let me start by giving you two book, um, book recommendations. If you'd like to study more than we'll get to do in a 30-minute sermon, the first is uh, Dr. D.A. Carson Showing the Spirit, which is looking at in depth on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And then the other book um, is The Gift of Prophecy by Dr. Wayne Grudem. But let me give you again a couple of guidelines when we see verses like this. Number, number two in my list, so one was the books. Two, we often misunderstand the job of a prophet. In the Bible, the main job or definition of a prophet was representing or being a messenger for God to the people. So this is done in contrast to the priest who represented the people to God. So the prophet represented God to his people. The problem we run into is that we limit what is called prophecy to telling the future. And a better definition of the prophets, when you look through all of the prophets in the Old and New Testaments, is that they spoke for God, which in some cases included speaking about the future. Oftentimes, it took the form of repent of your sins and turn back to God, or judgment will come. 
but there is a strong emphasis, and I would add a stronger emphasis, of repentance, faith, and godly living. And so when you hear prophecy, don't just think foretelling the future, because that's missing the point of prophecy. Number three, one of the difficulties for understanding our text today is that all of the examples that I will give in a little bit represent the church before the completion of the New Testament. And that's important because even in the later epistles, epistles that we knew were written later on in church history and definitely into the early years of the church, you would think that if there were prophets, they would be at the center of the life of the church. When in fact, it was the apostles and the preaching of the written word that was at the center of the life of the church. And we're even going to see that a little bit with some of these examples. And so the primary authoritative work of the church was in explaining how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. Number four, along with that, functionally none of the New Testament examples that we're going to look at were treated the same as the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, etc. It is clear that the prophecies of a man named Agabus that we see were not written down or treated the same as Isaiah. So let me read to you about Agabus a little bit. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world that took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. That story is recorded, but we don't have a book of Agabus in our New Testament. To use him again to support this, let me read you from the book of Acts, chapter 21. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not only, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. What's interesting about that example is that Luke tells us that Agabus makes this prophecy through the power of the Holy Spirit, but everybody interprets it wrong. They say, Agabus said this, therefore you shouldn't go, Paul. But Paul says no. In a sense, that's just telling what's going to happen. And so the interpretation of the prophecy was not infallible. In this example, there was a difference of how the news was to be applied and followed. 
And on the face of it, you can see the difference between this and an Old Testament book like Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. And in the description of the New Testament, we see a primacy of preaching about Jesus and teaching the Bible. Acts 15 is a great case study. There's this problem of what do we do about Gentile believers? And you might think if there were prophets among them like Agabus, we'd just go and say, hey, Agabus, what should we do? But what did the church do instead? They took evidence from godly leaders like Peter and Paul. They quoted the Bible to each other. And what was their conclusion? Acts 15, 28, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And the only time prophets are mentioned in that whole chapter is that they are the guys who carry the letter that the leaders and the apostles had written. And that's going to transition us to the next thing we see in the New Testament when it talks about prophecy. In the New Testament, there is a strong and very close connection between prophecy and teaching. An example from 1 Corinthians 14. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And later in the chapter, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, what's clear from this in 1 Corinthians 14 is that prophecy was used for the teaching and building up to the church. And again, we even see this in Acts 15. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So with all that being said, and there's more, again, if you want to know more, I'd encourage you uh, to do a little more research on this. But for our purposes today, how do we apply verses about prophecy to us? What, what is the minimum that we must say when we see these? Because it would just be easy just to skip over them and just be like, I'm just going to ignore what that says. But I think it's better I think there is a sense, and we're honoring God, where we seek to live out all the parts of Scripture. And so for us today, when you see, like places here or in 1 Corinthians 14, at a minimum we must see that God uses other peoples as conduits for the communication of his truth to us whether it is through following the promptings of the Holy Spirit or whether it is through Holy Spirit-empowered teaching from the Scriptures, God uses other people in our lives as the messengers of His truth. And at a minimum, when it says, do not despise the prophecies, we should say, God, I will be humble enough to hear your truth from someone else. And it's that idea that leads us into the next part of the passage. Because whether or not someone is a prophet or just a godly person trying to share God's truth with us, the response is still the same. So let's look at the first part of that response in verse 21, to test 
everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21. But test everything. How do we know if God is using someone in this way to speak truth to us? How do we not despise the Spirit's work in our lives and the lives of other believers? We test what is said. And again, there's a general application that anytime anyone says anything to you and claiming it to be the truth from God's word, test it. Again, there's a point where we don't get stuck on the term prophecy because of the great clarity of the rest of the passage. So anytime someone shares with you, you test it. But the question then becomes, how do we test it? Let me give you three tests from the Bible that God gives us that when someone makes a truth claim, and specifically when they make a prophetic claim, what we should do and how we should respond to them. The first one I'm going to call a test of outcome. And this specifically relates to someone claiming to be a prophet, or claiming the prophetic gift, or speaking about future things. Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 to 22 says this, And if you say in your heart, how may we know, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So this one is pretty pragmatic. Guy claims something, doesn't happen, guess what? He didn't speak for God. Again, we can think of clear examples, people telling us of so many reasons that God is going to return in 1984. That turned out to be incorrect. You probably shouldn't buy his book when he had more reasons it should happen in 1985. But again, it's a, it's a pretty simple thing. That if you're, and especially if you're going to claim to speak for God, you better be sure you're right. Because God takes it seriously when people speak for him when they're not actually speaking for him. In fact, in Deuteronomy, the punishment for a false prophet was the capital punishment. Because I cannot think of many worse things than saying, I'm God's prophet, when you're not actually God's prophet. Because that is demonstrating that God is a liar, because the truth didn't happen. The second one is a test of Scripture. Now, the test of Scripture, one, it's helpful because we actually have a written uh, demonstration of this, but again, it applies to both the person claiming to be a prophet and the one just sharing what they believe is true with us. So in Acts 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, 
And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So someone presents something to us that they claim is from God or a godly truth. What do we do? We go to the Bible. God will not contradict himself. We know we can go to the Bible because, and I love this about the book of Hebrews, when quoting the Old Testament multiple times, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So, person is saying God spoke to them and said this should be the same as what the Holy Spirit spoke in the Scriptures. And if they don't match, guess which one's wrong? That one. God would not speak one way to a person and then another through the Bible. Again, it's always amazing to me that every cult leader comes up with a different sexual ethic than what's actually in the Bible. Oh, it just happens that every woman should have sex with me. I mean, it's amazing how often that happens with cults. But that picture of sexuality has nothing to do with the picture of sexuality in the Bible. Therefore, the cult leader is wrong because he cannot pass the test of Scripture. This also goes against false statements that exist throughout history and in our culture of wanting to add to Scripture. There's a quote that I've seen on many places that call themselves churches that quotes from the old actress Gracie Allen, which said, Never place a period where God has placed a comma. And in fact, on some places that refer to themselves as churches, there is a rainbow comma on their sign. What are they saying? There's more truth than the Bible. There's additional revelation that should be added to or seen as the same as our Bible. Guess what? That doesn't fit the test of Scripture. If someone is claiming to be a prophet and seeking to add or see their words as on par with Scripture, you must reject it. The third test is related to this, but is a little more broad, and that's a test of doctrine. The test of doctrine, we see this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many pr false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. If a prophet's doctrine is contradicting the Bible's doctrine, then it is false. There are many cults and many groups that call themselves religious groups that claim different doctrine about who Jesus is. 
Again, it doesn't match. And why would God say one thing to someone else and say a different thing in his word? And so through understanding doctrine and understanding what the Bible says, we can see, no, you do not pass the test. So we test what people say by their outcome. We test it by specific scriptures, but we also test it by doctrine and what we know to be true. And let me add a final sort of caveat test. Is there is a temptation in certain circles to present prophecy, but to do so in a way that it is so broad that it could be applied to anything. It's very similar to if you've ever read a horoscope. Okay, they're written in such a way that a million people can apply them to themselves in a million different ways. I've been to some of these prophetic services, and they are so broad that you can find a way that it relates to you in some shape or form. Beware of those. Because first of all, they're not actually saying anything because they're so broad and vague. But, but beware the temptation to hear what you want to hear. Because a lot of times that's what they're pulling on. They want to tell you how great you're going to be or how amazing you're going to be. But again, the person next to you could apply it just as much to them as you. So beware what passes off as prophecy conferences or prophecy services. Again, test everything. Now, in the final part of our passage today, again, this can be broadly applied, too. And that's the great thing about it, because, again, whether or not someone calls themselves a prophet, anytime someone is making a truth claim to you, you should do these things. So, first of all, test everything. But then, secondly, hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. When God uses someone to speak truth into your life, hold fast to that truth. Thank God that the Holy Spirit has brought people into your life to tell you what you needed to hear, to speak that truth into your life. And Paul is saying when someone speaks God's truth to you, hold on to that word. Hold on to that truth. But the same, but the opposite should be said here. When someone is claiming to speak for God, but they do not pass the tests of outcome, scripture, or doctrine, we need to abstain from every form of evil. Don't entertain the false prophets who write about the date of Christ's return. 
Don't say, well, maybe I can find something nice in them. If someone is claiming to speak for God but is not actually speaking for God, then run away. Abstain, flee from every form of evil. And it's hard because sometimes that falsehood, those lies, are what we actually want to hear. There's a story, and I should have looked it up beforehand, but it's, I think it's Elijah or Elisha. Pastor Dave will correct me on Tuesday. <laughs> Where they're like, we need to talk to a prophet before we go to war. And they're like, well, there's Elijah. Well, I don't want to talk to Elijah because he never tells me what I want to hear. <laughs> Be careful. There's a lot of people out there that are telling you what you want to hear as opposed to what is actually true. And they might even have a cool building with lots of pyrotechnics or laser shows behind them and may have a big congregation in front of them. They may even have a book that's a fun read. But run away from the false prophets. Don't give them an inch to pull you away from what God has actually said in his word. Reject falsehood and cling to what is good and true. A couple points of application as we close this morning. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit in your life. There is a danger that we do quench the Spirit, that we're so entrenched in our ways that we're not humbly submissive to the Holy Spirit to change us. One of my favorite word pictures is from the book of Romans where we're conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Being conformed is being changed. And if we're honest with ourselves, we need to be changed. We need to grow in maturity. We need to be, grow to be more like Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And his job is to lead us and guide us and empower us to make that change. To be more like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Don't quench the Spirit. And don't quench when someone is speaking God's truth to you. Don't despise that God has brought someone into your life to say, you need to change. Secondly, test everything. Again, whether someone claims to be a prophet or not, the test is still the same. What has God said? When I was candidating here back in 2012, in one of the Q&A sessions, I, I told the church, I don't mind when people disagree with me, but I want you to disagree with me with your Bible. Again, when we come to God's word, we're better able to actually see what God has said and how we should then live. God will not contradict himself. God will not say one thing to this person and say a different thing in the Bible. 
It just won't happen. And if that person is saying something that's different than what is in the Bible, guess which one's wrong? And finally, hold fast to the truth and reject the lies. While there is debate about what verses about prophecy should mean for us today, there is no debate that we must hold fast to the truth and completely reject falsehood and evil. Reject false teachers and prophets. Don't play with that fire. But humbly come under the leadership of the Spirit as He speaks to us through His Word. Let's pray. Father God, that we would cling to the truth of your word, that we would cling to the truth spoken to us through your people, that we would reject and abstain from every form of evil and wickedness. God, give us the wisdom to test what is said and to cling to the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.